0: We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity.
1: We know the air is unfit to breathe. Our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence, the great and powerful arms.
2: Knows why you have come? You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have
3: meddled
4: with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you. Who regiment your lives. Tell you what to do, what to think,
0: or what to feel. Who drill you, diet you, treat you like a use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts.
2: Yeah, thank you, you're beautiful. I love you, yes. You're
5: beautiful. Thank you. It's showtime! Now, Reality Rants with Jason Bermas.
3: And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Bermas. And we are being brought to you by the good people over at redvoicemedia.com. redvoicemedia.com slash Jason or slash Uncensored. That's where you find The second hour of the broadcast, and the second hour of the broadcast today is going to be at least half, probably a little bit more than half, of my interview with Stuart J. Hooper, where we are going to be talking everything Ukraine, Russia, possible nuclear conflict, changing narratives, and now switching over to the Nord Stream pipeline not being destroyed by Russia, shocker but pro-Ukrainian forces, and much more. It's always a pleasure to have Stuart on the program. He nails it every single time. But I really want to start the broadcast today with some clips because I have a ton of stuff I actually want to show, including Thomas Massey, who just nails it, just kills it knocks it out of the park when talking to jamie raskin who continues to look ridiculous and look i don't want to pick on raskin's appearance too much i realize he's going through cancer treatment and he's wearing some kind of a weird headdress thing like that's over the top if it was just something that was coy or whatever or if raskin wasn't just a terrible terrible person Then I wouldn't make a comment on it, but he's a disingenuous hack that shows how unremarkable he actually is in this exchange with Thomas Massey. Because Massey is just putting down, I don't know, common sense economics that anybody with a fifth or sixth grade education could easily, easily understand. I mean, Raskin's having a problem understanding it. I mean, not really Raskin gets it, but he's go, well, he's, he's got to interject all the talking points of the uh, predator class members that he is a minion of. All right. He's a bad joke. So that exchange, I think a little bit over eight minutes and uh, Thomas Massey does a great job. I also finally want to play the clip of Thomas Massey on that first day of the Tuckins, showing the January 6th footage requesting that we get all of the footage. We need all of the footage. Now there's been three nights of this. We need all the footage because uh, there were really no new revelations whatsoever last night. It was a rehash of how dishonest the January 6th committee and the media surrounding them had been. And yes, they are dishonest. You know, unfortunately, I still see like memes Going around and and one meme I saw today, you know, again talking points that you know why would you believe uh, a network filled with liars, which they owned by a liar, Murdoch, which he is, right? If you believe them, then you're in a cult. No, I don't believe them. I believe my own eyes. Okay, I believe my own ears. I was there. I believe my senses. I I saw what happened on January six because I was there. I've been in a plethora of other situations amongst tons of people where I felt way, way, way less safe. There's not, there wasn't a moment during that, that I even had adrenaline going. Okay. Not, not even a little bit. It was a joke. I'll say it again. It was about as dangerous to me as going to a Dave Matthews band concert and looking out for the beach ball that might be coming around. Let's stop acting otherwise. I don't want to play pretend, but they want you to play pretend. So Thomas Massey, Economy, Raskin, we're going to do all that. Hopefully we're going to do him on the Tuckins, but I want to start with this exchange here uh, because it's just classic. It's gangster on gangster. And what do I mean by that? Well, you have one gangster who is a politician um, talking to a teamster boss who is another type of gangster, right? He represents people, and this guy's got that good old school New York gangster attitude. And uh he's also got the accent, kills it. Now, I don't think necessarily either of these guys are the greatest but i've got to sit there and laugh a little bit when you've got gangster on gangster exchanges and then bernie sanders jumps in who's a total other you know i mean look at bernie sanders what a sellout really what a sellout i I mean first of all bernie just so you know you're very old nobody lives forever okay you had an opportunity in 2016 to raise the alarm that your own party had stolen the nomination from you. And then they did it again in 2020, Bern. And you're totally silent on it. You're totally silent on it. And then I see Bernie up there with uh, Bill Maher recently getting asked uh, what the difference is between equity and equality. And he starts to go, well, the differences, and he goes, Well, you know what? I don't really know the difference. I know the difference. Equality means you treat everybody equally, doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, doesn't matter what their gender is, doesn't matter what their age is, etc., all, all that. Okay. Instead, especially when we're talking about work, etc., there's a meritocracy on who does the job the best that's equality all right that's equality so so in other words let me give you another example all those things but you live in a building with apartments that are the same the rent is the same for all those people that's equality equity is actually looking at someone's gender or ethnicity or uh religion etc that has nothing to do with the meritocracy and saying yes you can do that because there's not enough of you doing that it's pretty easy equity is evil equality not of outcome okay but of opportunity equality of opportunity is what we should strive for as a society it's inbuilt so now kind of like rewinding it back I'm gonna play this exchange. It should make you smile in the morning. Made me smile. So thumbs it up, subscribe and share, no matter what platform you're watching it on. Here we
1: go. You talk about CEOs that are making all this money. And what do you make, Mr. O'Brien? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, I know what you make because in 2019, your salary was, um, what is this? 193,000. I'm sure you've got some pay raises since then. Yeah, when I was and the average UPS driver, the feeder driver makes 35,000 a year. That's and what do you bring? That's inaccurate. Hold on a second. That's inaccurate. State no, facts. I it right here. State facts. That's inaccurate. The average UPS. That's inaccurate. State facts. That's
3: inaccurate.
1: Yes, feeder driver makes 35,000. If you don't know your facts, then maybe you should. Well, I, I know them because I negotiate the so contract. I say, I say one thing to you. What do you bring for that salary? What do I bring yeah what do you, what do you what job have you committed or have you have you uh, uh, started what job have you created one job other than sucking the paycheck out of some other body, somebody else that you want to say that you're trying to provide because you're forcing them to pay dues and no we don't force you're line.
2: For the
1: you're out of line man <laughs> Oh, don't tell me I'm out of you are line. line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you you frame, Don't tell me you I'm frame, you the state, frame. You sir, frame this you Shut Huff your guy. mouth. Yeah. because you don't you know. Gonna what you're gonna tell me to about. shut my mouth. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah. Hold it. Hold it. Tough guy. I'm not Let afraid of physical. Senator, hold to, it. But don't sit there and tell me I'm out of line. Senator. <laughs> and and that's probably the best part right here is that, you know, Bernie's got to
3: take off the mask during this too. It's around his chin. This one just made me smile.
1: You made a statement. You asked the question. I didn't ask the question. You did it. You did. I answered question. the question. You asked the question. But well, it was rhetorical. May, let him answer. It was, rhetor- it was a rhetorical. Let, well, you here. may think it's rhetorical. It sounded rhetorical. to me like a question. Let him answer the question. I'm not yielding my time to him. So if you're, you're gonna, gonna, gonna let me keep my time, that's fine. You'll have your
2: time. Let him, you ask your a question. question. He has a so right to, like to answer that. As far as my salary goes, my salary, if you follow me around, I walk, I actually look at this building. I bet you I work more hours than you do. Twice that's, as many that's hours. That's impossible. But no, that's that's true.
1: Sir, you don't secondly, know what artwork is. Secondly, I'll yeah. do control. it in a minute. That's we not, hold greedy CEOs like yourself not, accountable. You call me a greedy CEO. Oh, yeah, you are. Yes. You want to attack my salary, I'll attack you up. What did you, I, make? what did you make when you owned your company? When I made my company, I kept my salary down at about uh, 50000 a year because I invested every penny into it. Okay, all right. You mean you hid money?
3: You mean you hid money? (laughs) Oh, those are the type of exchanges that get me going in the morning. Okay. So I want to move on. And I want to move on to basic economics. All right. Thomas Massey uh, may be my favorite person in Congress. I mean, I don't know if there's somebody better. If there's somebody better point them out to me, I I don't think there is. I think this guy is the man because he he really just comes at it with common sense. He's educated. He uh, speaks in a manner that, look, I'm not saying trust politicians, but that is relatable. And I don't feel like I'm being talked down to or by somebody that wants to take me into a back alley bend me over and take advantage of me that's I, I mean i don't feel that way about massey call me kooky so uh what i want to do is i want to play this exchange between him and jamie
4: raskin uh we you know something interesting has happened with our debt here recently that hasn't happened in in, in history really uh we got to about 26 trillion dollars by borrowing money and then most recently when COVID hit and the first two trillion dollar package came to the floor uh there weren't two trillion dollars to borrow it didn't exist uh in circulation so what what happened how did we finance that debt how do we finance that two trillion and the next two trillion and the next trillion in fact we financed trillion of this debt by printing money. And once again, uh, I
3: was kind of discussing this with Mike Pompeo's comment of the increase in the national debt, but what happened? Well, the vast majority of it was printed out of thin air during what the COVID 1984
4: nightmare, the federal reserve printed the money and then the treasury borrowed it from the federal reserve. So we, kind of borrowed it from ourselves, but what came into existence was $5 trillion that did not exist before. Now, had we borrowed it, we would have taken it out of the economy. And then when the money was put back into the economy through various programs that were supposed to help businesses but, and may or may not have had their intended effect. Uh, if we had done, if we had borrowed the money and put the money back in it wouldn't have increased the money in circulation. But what we did over the last three years is increase, Five, by $5 trillion, the amount of money that's in circulation before the banks loaned it out fractionally. Mr. Raskin, do you think that uh, creating new money and putting it into the economy had any effect on inflation? So
3: let's just stop it there. You notice how he also put it out there that they loaned it out fractionally. Well, that means that it was loaned to other banking uh, facilities. That then, instead of loaning out what they had gotten, loaned out even more than they had gotten. So although the money may not physically be in circulation, $5 trillion of it is, well, in zeros and ones and ledgers, you bet your ass it exists, and it's much more than $5 trillion. And Raskin, again, he, he just doesn't get it.
2: But I assume it does, but I've not looked at the studies about that. And oh. you're talking about the QE2 lending program that the Fed set up with Treasury. This is
4: since uh, QE2. Yeah. This was f- specifically for COVID. We uh, the Federal Reserve created five trillion dollars. If you look at their graph, it's kind of flat for uh, since 1917. Yeah. Their balance sheet. Then it went up five trillion dollars right there at the, uh, and so what that means is. $5 trillion came from somewhere. What what happened is they printed the money and then loaned it to Treasury. Then Treasury, well, we spent the money. I don't want to blame Treasury. Congress appropriated this money and it went out the door. And then that went into people's hands and they started buying stuff. Right. Like, like he's
3: literally trying to explain it to Raskin like he's his sixth grade economics teacher. Right, right, right. I mean, again, R- Raskin is sitting there. Talk about unremarkable. These are supposed to be the representatives that that help run
2: this constitutional republic, this democracy. Give me a break. No, I mean that's a serious question, and um, certainly there are there are fiscal stimulus sources of inflation, and there are um, you know, and there are Fed. sources of inflation as well but they're not executive order sources of inflation i mean no economists have ever identified that i mean again i think about this like he's oh it couldn't be from the executive orders I'm like what so but that's a serious question and of course chip uh, that I goes have your tea. i mean that that goes way beyond the the purview of this legislation so the this is chip roy's tea he doesn't <laughs> So now you take it, what he's about to do, all right?
3: He takes it from like sixth grade economics and brings it down to a third
4: grade level for Raskin. I not need it anymore, I've decided. <laughs> this is what happens when you have a quantity of something and then you add more to it. This is dilution. the The principle is so simple that a child can understand and you can create this little science project at home. Sorry, you can have your tea back. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's so funny, except for
3: this is what they just did to our economy. And, and, and again, Massey has to sit up there and, and play this game with Raskin. Raskin
4: knows damn well what happened. The principle is called dilution. And when you print $5 trillion and you put it into the economy, you have diluted the value of the money. So for instance, if you had a minimum wage at, at some amount and somebody was making minimum wage and they were still making minimum wage after this money was printed, they actually are, are making considerably less in terms of real dollars, it's dilution. So uh, the $5 trillion that we printed, I would uh, argue is the primary source of inflation. You know. I would argue that too,
3: Thomas, any thinking person would say that's the primary source
4: of inflation. Uh, We can we can say, well, eggs went up because feed went up, fuel went up because uh, there's a war in Ukraine. You can you can find a lot of excuses for various different industries. But what is the probability that every price went up? (laughs) All at the same time, you can't blame them on specific supply chain problems. The, re- the
3: thing how do you how
2: do you explain the global?
4: Impact? Yes, I'm glad you asked me that. Oh yeah, no. How do you explain the
3: glo- again? Raskin's very interested. Oh, how do you? And again, <laughs> it just kills me. This is in, this is two weeks ago. And look at the woman behind Raskin. We're we're in a cosplay society, guys.
4: The LARPing is forever, apparently. Professor Raskin, because they did the same thing in Europe. They, they did this everywhere. They printed their own equivalents of the Federal Reserve and Treasuries, created their own money out of thin air. Mm-hmm. It may be the only thing that saved our dollars that everybody else did the same thing to their currency. Is they, uh, it's, and so the, you know, the question is, right now we're coming up on the debt limit. Why, Why isn't anybody proposing to print more money? Why aren't the economists proposing to print more money? Because it is poison. When you print money, it is poison to our economy and it it is very regressive. Inflation is extremely regressive, especially when it affects the, the, the goods that everybody needs to buy, energy. I love it when they print the consumer price index, neglecting food and energy and housing, right? Like the three things that no matter how poor you are, you still need. Again,
3: it shows you how cartoon level this is. I mean, it's cartoon level that he's got to sit there and describe this to somebody who's supposed to be what on the same level as he is a colleague. And again, any, I mean, at least in my era, any fifth, sixth grader could understand
4: this, you understand what dilution means we'll just leave those out when we look at the, at the effect of inflation, but you can't leave those things out. So um, the reason we're not, you know, we could just, we could just print more money again, like we did over the last three years. But the reality is everybody in this room knows. And if we don't, we have staff who know that if you print money, you're going to wreck this economy. So uh, I found it interesting That the Fed raised interest rates very aggressively over the the last several quarters, the last year. Do you have any idea, Mr. Raskin, why they would raise interest rates? (laughs) And I mean, you know, Massey's doing a great job. Do you
3: have any clue what's going on here, Mr. Raskin? Any any idea why they would have done
2: that? You know, but I, I really don't. I've not followed it that closely. I mean, your line of questioning to me is interesting because I think it goes to what the real sources of inflation are. In the- yeah, again, I'm just so interested. This is just a great conversation, Thomas. Thank you uh, to
3: explaining it to me, like I'm a child, because obviously I am childlike, and this is the crusader for the Democrats against the evil Orange Man. This is the crusader of election integrity. This is the crusader that's taking on the white supremacists and bigots, but he just doesn't have any clue how the economy works. And he is, he is
1: enthralled.
3: He is enthralled with this information. It is just so interesting to him.
2: Economy and what the money supply is and so on. Remember that the various actions taken that you identified were in response to a crisis which was COVID-19 and an economic collapse in the country and everybody on a bipartisan basis with perhaps the potential exception of you was demanding that the federal the the federal government act in order to bolster the economy because the restaurants were going down and the hotels were going down and (laughs) our businesses were collapsing and so um, and so most of them still did collapse
3: at least the ones that what weren't part of corporate america so many went into bankruptcy so many small businesses were devastated and th- again this is the guy that's supposed to be looking out for the little guy you know with the exception of you thomas nobody else figured out this was going to be economically devastating nonsense
2: um, we, you know we make no apologies for any of the rescue legislation That we did and we think we did the right thing even if that was you know some small contributor to the overall global inflation uh small contributor you have global collusion to shut the economy
3: down first world style all over okay print trillions in currency that did not exist loan it out on a fractional level game the system at the top let's be honest all right screw the little guy at the bottom and then on some small level
2: Thomas Massey might be right I mean Raskin is ridiculous he is ridiculous we saw and I will say that of course this has been a bipartisan um policy commitment and under President Trump we know that uh, your side of the aisle voted three times to lift the, def- the debt limit uh, as requested by President Trump and President Trump's own spending contributed 25% of the total debt of the United States from George Washington to Joe Biden, 25% of it. So this is a, a bipartisan problem that we got to deal with.
4: I, I like those numbers where we look at which administration was in power when the debt went up and how what percent, you know, maybe 25% under Trump. Um, reality is, we are the ones who raised the debt limit, not not the uh, president. So I went back and looked at to see which, under which speaker, did the debt limit go, or did the debt go up the most? And it turns out somewhere between uh, forty-three and forty-five percent of all the debt. You mentioned that twenty-five percent of all the debt was under Trump. Using those same metrics, forty-three to forty-five percent of all the debt ever incurred in this country happened while. Uh, Miss Pelosi was Speaker. Now, she had a good run at it. She had two chances to do it. She was Speaker twice. But, uh, you know, so I think it's unfair to blame any one administration. I think it's more fair to blame us. And in reality, uh, because we're the ones who raised it. Yeah, I, I would only uh, agree with Raskin. It is a bipartisan issue in that
3: what? The vast majority of Republicans and Democrats are in the pocket of the predator
4: class. That's what. Now the problem with the stimulus that we did during COVID, yes, it was an economic calamity and people stayed home. But when you gave farmers money, when you gave people money, the farmers didn't make more goods. The factories didn't make more goods. The refineries didn't refine more oil. Uh, Demand for fuel went down. So we saw a temporary, if you look at inflation, it actually went down there for a while while nobody was doing much of anything. But after we put that money in their hands, now they're chasing goods that don't exist. We they literally buying the inventory because so many things were shut down. Boom. So Thomas Massey, absolutely killing it. Um,
3: I want to play that Tucker clip where he asks for all the footage, and that's what we need. We need all the footage on January 6th to be made public so that what citizen investigators and journalists can go through that evidence. Period. I want to shift gears. I want to play as much of this interview with uh, Stuart J. Hooper regarding Ukraine, Russia, etc., as I can. Before we go over to premium, remember it's redvoicemedia.com slash Jason or redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. $1. $1 for the first week. 10 bucks a month, $100 for the year. Save 20 bucks really helps the broadcast when you do that i want to thank all those who have come over and uh supported the broadcast but remember you can also listen to the rest of the interview and the rest of the broadcast for free over at podbean over at the info warrior as well sharing the links checking it out on social media um checking out the other shows at the uh, red voice media network that all helps the broadcast and it helps us to grow so i want to thank everybody who's been doing that. Uh, without further ado, I am going to play uh, this interview with Stuart J. Hooper. Hey, everybody. Jason Burmis here, and I am very pleased to bring you guys yet another segment with our friend of the show that brings an academic perspective to a lot of the things that we discuss here. And today, I wanted to get Stuart J. Hooper's opinion On the narrative shift regarding Ukraine, the Department of Energy, Seymour Hirsch, his revelations, and now the New York Times retort of pro-Ukrainian forces, as we see the narrative changing on a global scale in real time. So Stuart, before we get going and we talk about this shift in the narrative in Ukraine, we're now almost... All of major media is admitting that Ukraine is not winning the war, um, but that seems to be being used to encourage people getting behind more weapon systems, more funding, and possibly even trips on the ground. Um, So once again, before we get going, tell people how you got involved in this arena and where they can find your work.
6: Yeah, well, great to be back, Jason. Really appreciate the time. Really appreciate getting to uh, talk to your audience as well. The reception last time was great. I really appreciate that. Um, But yeah, I I got involved in this um, alternative media sphere on and off over the past really 10 years following work from people like yourself um, over the years and the documentary films and the alternative media outlets that you've been a part of um, and always found that to be rather enlightening Um, i grew up during the war on terror i remember living through everything that went wrong with the war on terror which of course was a hell of a lot and i really came to the conclusion that the mainstream political parties back in the united kingdom were really not giving me the answers that I wanted. And I've reached the conclusion ultimately now that I don't think the mainstream parties, um, can really offer a solution to any of this. So I went down an academic path, um, pursued a couple of master's degrees at this point, trying to finish up a PhD right now. Um, and if you find the right advisors, the right people to talk to within academia, you can have a successful, um, path um, in this direction. Um, It's not easy all the time and of course you're going to face quite a bit of resistance here and there as well. Um, But that's what I decided to do. Um, I teach at a small university in Oklahoma. while I'm trying to finish up my PhD, um, under a professor called Inderjeet um Would highly recommend that your viewers check out Inderjeet's work. Um, he's a great professor to work under, and he's done lots of research into things like the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, and how these have been central to what the American foreign policy establishment actually is, and how it actually operates, and importantly, who it works four, which believe it or not, that's not really you and I, um, and I let me just stop you there. That's an integral
3: part of all of this. The fact Mm -hmm. that you have these wealthy individuals, billionaires and beyond, uh, painting themselves as the benevolent saviors of society, but really setting up these non-government organizations, not just as tax havens, but weapons Mm -hmm. of influence to then socially engineer outcomes that are really predetermined by what their
6: think their think tanks and other predator class members have put forward, Stuart. Yeah, um, precisely, and these. Um these think tanks they really are the incubators for the ideas that end up dominating global politics and we discussed this um last time the the council on foreign relations also known as the imperial brain trust um by these two um, insightful uh, authors um these are the source of institutions that generate the is and then build a consensus around those ideas to bring back into the nation states um, and apply them at the individual nation state level but of course if you have all of the nation states doing that across the board or a lot of them across the board doing that well then they all end up going in this same direction and that of course is generally um, not really what you'd expect individual countries to do you would expect them to have their own individual interests um, their own individual objectives that they're trying to achieve Um, but um, as a result of globalization and the the rise of globalism generally um, you've you've seen the gradual um, erosion of the ability of the average voter to have a say in how their country operates And then um, you want to get angry or upset when the UK votes to leave the European Union or when the United States elects Donald Trump. Well, what did you expect was going to happen? You offshored more and more political power, more and more economic decision-making, more and more military decision-making as well um, into institutions like NATO. And then what do you get in response? Well, you're going to get populism. You're going to get nationalism. Um, So I think um, if you want to look at Um, people to blame for the current state of the world, Um, these are a good place to start. The people that are in these think tanks, this one, the Council on Foreign Relations, um, the people that have set up this structure of ideas which currently pushes um, the world forward. You know, since you brought it
3: up, I do think it's an important point to make that when you look at Brexit in particular, there was no more of a glaring example that the general populace had rejected what the establishment was trying to sell them on via globalization and the European Union and wanted out, out, out. And those people, they scratched, they kicked, they pawed, and they forced a situation where, once again, establishment pop- politicians had to act like they were going to do the will of the people and actually exit that system. But somehow through delay and the bureaucracy, days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years and nothing of the sort happened. It never happened. And we're just supposed to act like that is normal. And, you know, kind of give us the hundred yard view of how, Brexit fell apart and the will of the people was completely denied. And that will of the people was then, it almost mirrors here, was then turned around. And if you supported that, well, you were a bigot, a racist, and probably a white supremacist, Stuart.
6: Yeah, that's the unfortunate direction that this stuff has taken. Um, A similar direction to where you see American politics going. um, And also something I noticed earlier. Um, i was just uh browsing through some british news stations on youtube um british politics is starting to insert more issues that look more and more american every day abortion now is apparently becoming a big political issue in the united kingdom that was never um, a thing that i ever saw in the headlines growing up um, so yeah going down this road is not great but generally with brexit um, It probably on the the grand scheme of things to just immediately jump out of the European Union, that was always going to create problems. And it's created a hell of a lot of problems within Britain right now Um, on an economic level, on a political level, on an international level between different countries and how the UK can or cannot operate. Um, But I think what you said is most important about all of this. Um, I had a comment on one of my YouTube videos that I put out um, last week. Um, And I was talking about the war in Ukraine and the very real potential for World War Three, which I have said since day one of this conflict is a very real possibility. Um, And one of my solutions to that was to call your congressman, to write to your member of parliament, um, to do anything to try to contact the government, because even if you approach government from the position that we do, in that these are not really democracies these are really dominated by elites well with enough pressure you can actually force them to live up to the facade of democracy that they espouse and present to the world so are you really a democracy or are you not are you actually going to do the will of the people or are you not um so i think yes despite the fact that I think it's pretty clear we have western governments that have been completely dominated by um um, elites that are completely far removed from the interests of the people for a very long time leading to situations like brexit well they still claim publicly that this is a democracy and they represent the will of the people let's force them to really do that let's put the pressure on them that is needed let's pay attention to the real issues that matter um, and let's try to restore democracy one way or another um, because ultimately this does boil down to a fact that these are people As well which is really important and these people in congress they want to get re-elected they want to keep getting their cushy salary they want to keep doing their insider trading Um, they want to stay in the political system and have this image of being um, the, the savior on the left or on the right depending on which side you come from of course well they can only maintain that image for as long as we allow them to maintain it And the more pressure we put on them to actually live up um, to these so-called democratic values, we may actually get our democracy back. So I wouldn't be as uh, pessimistic as one of my commenters was on my channel, um, that that's just a complete waste of time. We can push them into a corner and make them act in a democratic
3: fashion. Well, the bottom line is we can never act like it's hopeless and we have to take the Mm -hmm. avenues that surround us. And there are so many in the mainstream that want to push us into a situation that will lead uh, to learned helplessness, in my opinion, through violence and separation, through this idea of a quote unquote national divorce of red and blue states. It's a comical farce, but it's one that's being pushed because they love to push division. However, when we look at the Ukrainian narrative, uh, at least amongst the vast majority of the establishment, Democrats and Republicans, they're pushing the same thing. And that's that we need to continually support this war. There's only a handful of people that are speaking out against it, that we now need to provide not only missile systems and weapon systems that we were never supposed to give them, but F-16 fighters as well. And now you're starting to see a normalization of the process of possibly having U.S. troops on the ground there under the guise of actually being U.S. troops. You and I both know that we already have U.S. troops on the ground, whether they are acting in an official capacity or not, or heading up the mercenary groups that are really deciding what to strike, where to go, and the day-to-day battles that are happening there. I'd love to get your take on Zelensky just last week, talking about U.S. soldiers dying on the battlefield in this conflict as if it's necessary, and then celebrities like Sean Penn, uh, going on mainstream media with killer taco hats, talking about and trivializing, in my opinion, the idea of nuclear war as a deterrent to you know try to continue this war of aggression. In my opinion, instead of try to come to a solution, and then at the same time saying there's no chance that they're asking for U.S. troops on the ground when those were the very words coming out of Zelensky's mouth.
6: Yeah, um, Ukraine, this has to be the central issue that really has our focus. Um, and as you mentioned at the start of, of that question, um, we need to get ourselves away from really the wedge issues that are forced upon us. Um, the abortion debate, the the immigration debate, these sorts of things. I mean, I mean if we weren't threatened with the uh, imminent end of our world as we know it, then maybe we'd have time to run around the houses and debate those issues. Um, But quite frankly, if you're still um, on those issues and they're your primary focus, um, well, I mean, if that's your thing, it's your thing, but I think it's time for everyone to reevaluate where we are and what we really need to be focused on. Um, And if we put our collective efforts into um, something like um, trying to end this conflict, I think that would be particularly useful. Um, One quote that I think is really worth referring back to here, um, which was written back in the 1950s by C. Wright Mills in The Power Elite. Um, If anyone in your audience has not read this book, go and grab it and read it. You can get it for about $20 on Amazon. It was published in 1956, and it's um, written by Mills, who's a political sociologist, and he's trying to define who does the american government work for and his bottom line answer is not for you or i in fact it works only for these three elite groups economic political and military elites and in chapter nine uh, the military ascendancy he talks specifically about how these military elites um, come to power and he talks about the state of military affairs during the cold war in the 1950s Um, and he says quote when virtually all negotiation aimed at peaceful agreement is likely to be seen as appeasement if not treason the active of the diplomat becomes meaningless. For diplomacy becomes merely a prelude to war or an interlude between wars. And in such a context, the diplomat is replaced by the warlord. Well, that looks a lot like the situation we're currently in right now. Um, if you think World War Three is a threat, if you want to enter into negotiations with Russia and Putin, well, you're an appeaser, you're an apologist, um, you're a Russian sympathizer. Well, this is completely incorrect. Not only does it create that disastrous political situation that Mills just described, um, diplomacy becomes um, a complete waste of time. Um, There's no point. You can't be a diplomat if you don't believe you can enter into a peaceful agreement with the other side. Um, So you are slowly but surely driving off of the edge of the cliff. So that's the real conceptual problem. But the empirical problem here is that what have we all just lived through for the past 22 years? The war on terror. The war on terror, which was sold to the Western world under the guise of all of these uh, different lies and propositions that were sold to us again and again. And there's tons of them. Um, One specifically that I remember growing up was in black and white, in bold font, the headline of all the british newspapers saddam hussein can hit london in 45 minutes so he apparently had these 45 minute um, missiles um, in iraq um, despite the country being under two decades of sanctions Um, but this is what we've lived through so if you have populations that have lived through this stuff for literally over two decades being lied to um, being economically raped for want of a better term Um, to the tune of trillions of dollars for over two decades, you should expect some skepticism when something like this happens. And none of this is to excuse what Russia did. Russia should never have invaded Ukraine. Um, This was the complete wrong decision. And if you're against militarism, you need to always be against militarism, Um, not against... Um, defending yourself, but you shouldn't use offensive militarism to try and achieve an objective. That's just always wrong, or it should always be wrong. Um, but yeah, this is the state of the world. So when you have these these issues and this current state of affairs, um, you have to look at these situations and expect that there will be people who are opposed to it. And I think, as you mentioned, with the the growing number of mainstream outlets that are now questioning what is going on here. And there was a New York Times, was it a New York Times piece? I think. Yeah, I it was know. the New York uh, Times
3: it. piece that is now changing yeah. the narrative. And, and that's mm. definitely the next thing that I wanted to get into you with, that after the Seymour Hirsch article that comes out about three weeks to a month ago, that is largely ignored by the mainstream press. And then sort of later on, not so much by the mainstream press, discrediting it on television, but coming out on social media and whispering how Hirsch is a conspiracy theorist and none of this is reliable. Well, what ha- and Having the State Department deny it outright. Well, then you get this new narrative that no, it wasn't Russia that bombed its own pipeline. And again, across the board, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, all went along for that ride. all of them, every single one of those networks. You know, you could argue that there was a handful at Fox that questioned it from the beginning, gonna oh, do? <laughs> what to do? So now you have that narrative being shattered. And now the new narrative being put out is it's pro-Ukrainian forces. Hirsch is still a kook and at the very same time of them now admitting that Ukraine isn't winning the war and they're facing heavy casualties but they're not discussing discussing how heavy those casualties are you know from what i'm reading they're anywhere from the tens of thousands which is on the very low end stuart to the hundreds of thousands of ukrainian soldiers and even
6: civilians yeah um there's uh, there's no real way around that fact at this point. We are talking tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of dead um, on both sides. So the human devastation here, um, we cannot leave that out of the equation. Um, but yeah, let's let's look at what's gone on here. So we've had these different um, shifting narratives on what happened with the pipeline. Uh, the New York Times opinion piece on Ukraine quote america is in over its head um yes uh, to say the least um and the reality on the ground um, there has been what's been going on in the city of Bakhmut. this has been the center of the fighting for the past six months um now according to military strategists Bakhmut is not even a strategically important city, uh, meaning that it's not really a a central hub for anything. It's not really connected to any major infrastructure, but they've been fighting over it for six months. And now it looks like it's on the brink of collapse um, to to a Russian victory. Um, So we've gone through these months and months and months. Um, The use of artillery and munitions to a degree that hasn't really been seen in world history um in a very 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 long time um and yeah these other situations that are going on i think the most important thing about the pipeline is this new shift to this new narrative what does it do well it returns us into the rhetoric of the war on terror Um, and it's very easy for people in the western world to understand uh terrorism exists terrorists exist and this is basically um what they're really saying is ukrainian terrorists did this with perhaps some russian military sympathizers or whatever the the full story is but there's a real big problem with this um look at what this attack was this was an attack on a major piece of infrastructure that is below the sea and it was an extremely successful attack well just looking at those empirical realities non-state actors terrorists they should be immediately excluded from the potential actors who might be able to do this wait a minute Do you mean that you need a skill set and
3: resources that go beyond a ragtag group that doesn't have the support of a nation state and intelligence apparatus or covert
6: funding stewart you conspiracy monger you but again i know yeah it's just just unbelievable and yet yeah but um this is just the reality though right it really is the reality and um when you look at other other things like this as well other major attacks on infrastructure another one that comes to mind is the Stuxnet attack on the iranian nuclear facilities Um, now this took a while for the iranians to figure out what was going on here it eventually gets out into the wild i think it ends up with um mcafee's systems and they slowly but surely figure out what this thing was and And, and let's let's roll it back for the audience because this is Mm -hmm. something that happened
3: i mean i If my memory serves me, we're probably going about a decade back, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more, where you had this, quote unquote, computer virus that had infected all these different systems. And when you started to peel back the layers, you realized that this was a system that could be disguised as a covert attack by Russia or any other nation state or group that you wanted to blame it on, because of its very nature, and it was infiltrating these uh, computer systems through backdoors and very, very difficult to discover.
6: Yeah, um, and the the engineers that find it, and again, I think it's. The, the guys over at McAfee that found it, or it may have been another smaller company, I don't remember. Um, but they, they look at it and they try to figure out well, what the hell is this thing? What is it doing? Because it's on all of these systems, but it doesn't do anything to them. Um, well, eventually they figure out that it does do something if you put it into a very specific type of centrifuge system that the Iranians happen to be uni- using in their enrichment facilities. Um, so they figure out what it is And they figure out how it's working and it's slowly but surely um, altering how the centrifuges run um, to a such a tiny degree that it's practically undetectable, Um, but slowly but surely it will destroy the centrifuges Um, and it will also display to the Iranian engineers everything's fine there are no problems at all um all good it must just have been a bad model right go and get another one from the factory and put it in surely that one will work um well maybe not um and what ends up happening with this um is we eventually come to the the conclusion of again yeah, there's no way a non-state actor would have had the resources or the capabilities or the technical know-how to produce something this damn sophisticated. Um, And it's practically or almost acknowledged to a degree, but it's accepted um, in the literature that it was probably the US, the UK and Israel that put this thing together. Um, And then how did they actually get it into um, the... Uh, enrichment facility in Iran. There's different theories on that one. Some interesting ones is it a James Bond type figure that snuck in there. Well, those people exist. Maybe there's other um, theories that someone would have dropped a, a USB stick in a parking lot, perhaps where they know the, the Iranian engineers go and they have lunch every day. So it plays on um, human nature well oh look here's a usb stick on the floor what's this let me go and take this into work and see who lost this and then oh no they don't realize they've now put the virus onto the system Um, but this again is the the point being a non-state actor is not capable of doing some of these things Um, it had to have come from a nation state and that really is the conclusion that everyone said for this pipeline from day one even the people that were saying that it was Russia that did this, they also said, "Well, clearly this couldn't be terrorists because it's too sophisticated." Well, then how are we now falling back into this? We've got—we need to smarten up here, hold these leaders to account, and ask real questions.
3: Well, I think that anybody that is actually looking beyond the mainstream narratives—and I would argue, really, there's only about twenty to thirty percent. 30 percent max in this country of the voting block of the adults that are in any way, shape or form behind this Ukrainian invasion and uh, this prolonged NATO battle. But as we've discussed here, it's my opinion, and I, I know that you agree with this, this conflict is going nowhere fast because the leaders uh, of NATO, of the Western nations involved, want to continue this and possibly break out some of their new toys during um, this very, very new type of warfare where the the automation and robotization of everything is uh, being scaled up at an alarming rate. And this is out of uh, defense1.com. The Reaper UAV is getting its own drone swarm. And uh, this is DARPA-based technology where you have a swarm of drones that are with your main drone. They can be controlled by one operator sometimes. Yes, even through human brain interfaces, not just a remote control, everybody, but thought patterns. I know it sounds very sci-fi, very sci-reality. But the interesting thing about these drone swarms is, although they act like a larger unit, like a swarm of birds or insects, they can break off individually and have different use sets. So one of these drones may indeed uh, carry a regular camera. Let's get a view of the battlefield or what's in front of us. The other may be an infrared camera. Okay, let's see what's hidden around. And that yet another of these swarm drones may actually be a weapon system, i.e. an explosive charge or device. And this is just scratching the surface of this technology. There's also uh, a lot of mainstream coverage now of the possibility of China siding with Russia. And I know that some in the conservative press are now talking about Iran and their drone program and their relationship with China. What are are your thoughts on all of that going on?
6: Yeah, uh, there's a lot in there. Um, There's
3: a lot in there. And if you want to hear that, you're going to have to come over to the premium portion of the broadcast. And uh, once again, I want to thank everybody who has come over to RedVoiceMedia.com slash Jason or RedVoiceMedia.com slash Uncensored. Try it for a week for a buck. We do this Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. every single week. Uh, And again, you can listen for free over at the Info Warrior. Before we go over there, there's another great way that you can uh, support this uh, channel and really Red Voice Media in general, and that's by using Spending Switch.
5: Are you sick and tired of hearing companies you purchase from constantly pushing their politics on you? Stop spending money with companies that hate you. Make the Spending Switch. Spending Switch only works with based companies who love America. We are adding new vendors often, and our vendors will never allow your hard-earned money to be spent against your way of life. Check us out for the best in survival food, preparedness, heirloom seeds, apparel, coffee, and much more. Go to SpendingSwitch.com. Again, that's SpendingSwitch.com.
3: All right, so uh, one at a time, we are going to leave Rumble, Rockfin, YouTube, and, of course, Twitter. Uh, Again, guys, thank you so much for even watching the broadcast, sharing the links, sharing the information. I do want to remind everybody, before we move on, remember, there's a good 35-40 minutes left in that interview with Stuart J. Hooper. You can go and check him out over on Twitter, and he has a YouTube channel and make sure to check out all of my documentary film as well loose change final cut fabled enemies invisible empire a new world order to find and shade the motion picture all right let's start signing off one at a time rockfin i love you but we'll see you on the flip side youtube you know the drill i wish i could say more but i have to say less all the time on your censorship Trojan horse civilian system platform. Oh Twitter, Ariva Durchi and Rumble thanks for existing. I just saw Crowder signed exclusive with you big money hustling over there at Rumble. Okay we are going to jump back to the uh, Stuart J Hooper interview
6: hey everybody i'm lost to talk about for sure um when we think about ukraine and the continuation of the conflict the big reason this conflict is going to continue is because neither of the sides ukraine nor russia have defined what victory means well if you don't know what it means to win what are you going to keep doing just fighting and fighting and fighting in a war of attrition and just keep throwing tens of thousands of soldiers um, into a meat grinder. Um, and John Kirby, the um, Pentagon spokesperson, he was actually asked this question a couple of weeks ago now, I think. Um, what does what does victory look like for Ukraine? And his response was, we're going to leave it up to the Ukrainians to define what victory is. Well, they haven't done that. Um, they haven't done that in a way that's specific enough to achieve that goal um and and unless you have an objective that you're trying to achieve you can just be running around in circles like a chicken with its head cut off right and you're not really going to get anywhere Um, so that's the big problem but as long as that is the case yes both of these sides are going to keep throwing um weapon systems into this different technologies into it Um, you've got these yeah these iranian drones Um, I did actually see there was a report that there was some kind of explosion at one of these uh, factories in Iran, nonetheless, a couple of weeks ago, um, that apparently builds these drones. Um, But yeah, that's um, an an interesting technology in and of itself, because it's proving to be very easy to produce. Um, And you have countries like Iran producing them very successfully, and they're deploying them onto battlefields around the world. In other words, the once technological monopoly that the United States had on a military kits, well, that's now slowly, surely being eroded. And you look at countries like China; um, they've specifically designed their military to counter everything the American military does well. Um, this is again a problem. Um, and when you also look at the U.S. military it's in a, re- a recruiting crisis right now. Um, one of the big reasons for that, um, believe it or not, is obesity. Um, so young kids are just too fat to be able to join the military. Well, that's that's a problem and that's an immediate problem and that's more of a social thing as well that's going on there. Um, but um, we're, we're about to be entering into a world where we may not need as many recruits as we once did anyway. Um, thanks to these drones, thanks to these unmanned systems, um, the robot wars are perhaps not too far away. And that, again, opens a whole other door. Well, do we really want to go in that direction? Um, will wars be better? Will it, Will they be more humane if they're fought by robots? And that's always the question that comes up, right? Well, surely if we have these new technologies for the war, um, it won't be as bad as it once was. And um, we'll be able to defend ourselves better if we have these systems and therefore we can just go and fight a war against whoever whoever the hell we want. Um, again, this is, um, this is a really dangerous path to go down. Um, and when you look at Ukraine as well, there are absolutely going to be people in the Pentagon right now looking at Ukraine as a testing ground. Um, not necessarily a battleground, but a testing ground. Yeah, we'll send them some uh, Abrams tanks. Why not? Let's see how well the, the Abrams can do on a battlefield against some of the Russian tanks. Let's uh, figure that one out. Um, let's see how well it can do when it's working with these drone systems. And let's see how well it can uh, it can operate in these different sorts of terrain. Um, so this is ultimately the the uh, history of the American military as well. When you look after World War Two, the nuclear bombs are dropped on Japan. Um, what does the United States do? It sends over doctors. What are those doctors charged with doing? Studying the victims of the bomb. Um, yes, not helping those people, but studying just precisely how they are suffering. So, again, more, more reason to end this, I think. Uh, I think we've had enough of all this sort of stuff.
3: You know, that, that's a really good segue into the Department of Energy. Because the DOE has this innocuous name. And instead of relating it to biological warfare, radiological warfare, warfare in general, everybody's like, well, they just provide energy. But that's not the case. You know, This is an institution that worked hand in hand with the intelligence agencies post-World War II. And it would be really a Department of Energy um, individuals okay that would have uh, been sent there to study these things uh mm-hmm. this article right here really lays it down rather well the energy department lab investing COVID knows what it's talking about and you go right here why would the u.s department of energy be weighing in on the investigation and the origins of covid19 the short answer is because the department of energy has a special division that is part of its mission is to track mitigate and proliferate Uh, I'm sorry, mitigate the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, specializes in the study of biological weapons and viruses. And then this is an extensive article. It takes you down that post-World War II timeline. So yet again, we are seeing another narrative shift. And this one is not just on the domestic front. But certainly on the global front, where it's not just the Department of the Energy, but it's our authoritative sources at the FBI that are also proclaiming that, yes, indeed, it looks like a lab leak. Now, you know I don't believe that narrative. uh, But for me, the important thing to take away from this is that there can be no doubt that this was a biological warfare attack in other words this was not a zoonotic virus yet you still have people in the establishment like gates that are saying it's absolutely a zoonotic virus only a few weeks ago in that latest interview where he was confronted about epstein yet again and you have fauci on anderson cooper still trying to promote the idea that this is a zoonotic virus so i want to get your take Uh, Not only the narrative shift and the importance of that, but then the outright denial by still some of the most major, visibly um, powerful
4: players.
6: Yeah, um, all very, very, very um, important questions. Um, When you look at um, what these departments are called, I think this is uh, very important. When you look back through... American history. um, We used to have the Department of War. It wasn't the Department of Defense. It was the Department of War. But you rename it and all of a sudden, well, now it's defensive. Now it couldn't be offensive, surely, right? It couldn't be in violation of international law. It couldn't be destroying civilians. It's the Department of Defense. Um, So these games go on and on and on um, with all this stuff. Um, There's two entities i'm looking at in my phd stuff called the De- um, defense innovation board and the defense innovation Unit, which again sound relatively harmless uh, but are trying to ultimately um, mold the defense department um, into um, an entity that somewhat reflects how transnational corporations work how they operate um, and both of them are trying to push the american military in this hyper technical um, direction um, but when it comes to china Yeah, there's there's lots going on with China right now. Um, So um, a couple of weeks ago now, we get these reports that China is apparently thinking about sending weapons to Russia. Um, This comes out of the American government. This is the narrative. And then almost immediately after that, China puts out a peace plan for Ukraine. Um, and the peace plan is this 12-point plan. You can find it um, online. It's, it's interesting. It has some useful points in there, some which I think we have to be pretty critical of. And it's clearly just China trying to position itself into a, um, a better place as a result of the suffering in Ukraine, because this is unfortunately how powerful countries act. Um, and then after that, you get the American government coming out and saying, well, actually, we don't know for sure um, if um, China is gonna be sending weapons to Russia. So I think there is some infighting going on right now within the Pentagon regarding all of this stuff. When you have these conflicting narratives, yes, they're sending weapons. No, they're not sending weapons. Yes, they're sending weapons. No, they're not. Yes, this is a, a spy balloon. No, it's a weather balloon. Yes, it's dangerous. No, it's not dangerous. That I think something's going on in the Pentagon right now. And of course, we can't really know what that is. But I think there might be some jockeying between military elites that think, let's bleed the Russians dry, and other military elites that think, yeah, this uh, this isn't going so well, and we should probably try to wrap this up as quickly as possible. So I think that might be what's playing out there with these conflicting narratives. Um, and then with the lab leak stuff, again, it's the same thing, right? As you just mentioned. It's from a lab. It's not from a lab. It's from a lab. It's not from a lab. Um, It's a a weapon. It was released deliberately. It wasn't released deliberately. Um, I think there are some problems within the American establishment on these levels. Um, I think also a lot of this comes back to um, the U.S. trying to keep China on a leash. Um, I think it believes it can still do that, but I'm not so sure that it can. Um, China is in this weird position where I think it's almost ready to become um, a real global leader, similar to what the US has done. But I don't know if it wants to pull the trigger or not just yet. Um, do we want to invade Taiwan right now, or are there other ways around this? Do we want to get more involved with the war in Ukraine? Do we not? So, and because of all of that, then, these different competing narratives, the different tensions. I think this, again, adds to the danger of the current global situation. Um, and to return to also the the UFO shootdowns, that was not normal. And that was really, really dangerous. You do not want to live in a country where there are fighter jets flying around, shooting things out of the sky during a time in which Russia is invading um, a foreign country. Um, There's a lot going on in the world that is really just ratcheting up the tensions, and this is generally not good. So, you know, let's talk about those
3: global tensions. We've talked about the war of terror uh, for quite some time, but we have not talked about the escalation of what's happening in Israel, not only with the Israelis and Palestinians, but now you have uh, claims that the Israelis are what involved in military action against both Iran and Syria. And we have not mentioned at all in this country that Syria was part of that devastating earthquake in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And just this week, it appears um, that either our forces or allied forces or sympathetic forces went into uh, Syria and bombed the Aleppo airport. Now, obviously, this is devastating to those uh, civilians that have already been devastated in the fact that their supply line has been totally and completely cut off. It's not in the news anywhere. And at the same time that that happens, you have Milley in Syria reinforcing the idea that ISIS is everywhere and we still have to battle these evil Muslims. So let's discuss that aspect of all of this right now. And then I kind of played this game with my audience yesterday. I don't believe Mark Milley is running anything, okay? He, he is not somebody who's an impressive man. He's not a leader. He's not somebody, in my opinion, that they actually put in charge in the vast majority of these operations. So who is day-to-day command and control? And I posited the idea that somebody like, if not David Petraeus himself, is really the person Behind the scenes, that's making the big boy decisions. You know, the National Security Council guy, the Bilderberg steering member guy, the disgraced CIA guy. I, I would love to get your opinion on that.
6: Yeah, I take um, a view that's really in line with C. Wright Mills and the power elite. Man, um, his um, whole position is that. Um, it's not who these people are specifically, it's nothing to do with their families, nothing to do with their bloodline, their race, their religion, anything like that. It's to do with what institutions are they a part of? Um, are they a part of an institution that can make decisions of consequence? Um, now, the answer uh, for some of these figures that you mentioned is is absolutely yes, they are um, part of these um, institutions. Um, but then you have to figure out, well, which are the, Um, institutions of most consequence and yes as a as a a writing researcher in the realm of elite theory um, yeah you have to include things like the Bilderberg group you have to include the council on foreign relations you have to include the Atlantic council Um, the people within these institutions um, like we mentioned actually way at the start of this segment um, they define the ideas that are going to be used to shape Um, how well politics are going to function um, going forward. Um, The Atlantic Council, for instance, is really um, described in the academic literature as NATO's brain. So what comes out of the Atlantic Council is what you can expect the um, military institution known as NATO to start doing over the next few years. Um, So that's important when it comes to um, elites. And when um, when my research eventually comes out, I can show you some interesting graphs and, and charts that I've made of where people are and how you can link them all together through these different institutions like the Bilderberg Group, like the CFR, like the Defense Department, um, which I think would be useful. Um, but when it comes to Israel, yes. Uh, and is, Israel is, of course, a very controversial topic, regardless of how you talk about it. Um, but yeah, very much involved in the bombing of syria and iran um and it's posited that it's israel that's been responsible for these factories blowing up in iran which again we spoke about earlier um yeah this is uh <laughs> kind of the this the um Unspoken secret, right? Every everybody knows that it's going on, but no one really uh, admits it. Uh, much like, well, does Israel have nuclear weapons? Well, on the tin, no, we don't have nuclear weapons. But everybody kind of knows, yeah, they've probably got a couple of hundred um, ready to rock and roll at any given time. Um, but what is all of this ultimately? Well, if we're trying to respect international law, if we're trying to respect sovereignty, well, do these values only apply to countries that are aligned? with the international community, the Western world, um, or do they apply to everyone? Um, Because if they apply to everyone, well, clearly this is wrong and this is a violation. Um, And if you go and talk to the average everyday um, citizen in, in these countries, again, they're not really too responsible for what's going on here. It's the people at the tip top of these governments. It's the elites in the institutions that make decisions of consequence. And I also remember, during the war on terror, and again Iran entered the discussion, the axis of evil, I'm sure you all remember this, Um, there were lots of instances of Iranian nuclear scientists um, just suddenly having their cars exploding. Uh, they're just driving down the street, and all of a sudden, their car just explodes. I mean, just out of the blue. What could possibly have happened? Um, just multiple Iranian nuclear scientists just blowing up, um, disappearing, um, not showing up to work anymore. Um, yeah, um, I mean, do you want to live in a world where this happens? Um, because if you do, well, this is where this is where we get to. And ultimately, again, this comes back to my other point. If if you want to have a world where people believe that their governments are democratic, that their governments are legitimate, that their governments actually work of, by and for the people. Well, their governments need to stop acting in such a criminal fashion. That's the central problem here. And when it comes to the United States, the US has never even gotten a peace dividend. Um, you look post-World War II at Britain, um, it, completely withdraws from the world says yeah we're done here um problem solved now we're going to look inward and they create things like a, a national healthcare system a welfare system and again do, do these things have problems yeah of course they do they're not perfect um, but at least it was something that was given back to the people the us has never gotten this it's never gotten a peace dividend um, it's people are just expected to continue going along with war after war after war and um, to continue to act as the world's police force and yeah i don't know how much longer this this is sustainable especially when you're in an environment like we are now with rampant out of control inflation people can't afford a a dozen eggs gas prices have been out of control house prices are out of control nobody's buying houses anymore nobody's buying cars anymore but they're being told every single week that oh another 100 million going overseas another 200 million going overseas well i don't know i don't know why it's surprising to governments that oh, why are these people so against this? Well, well <laughs> take a take a bit of a broader look and you might get an answer there. Well, I think that's
3: narrative management. Those people at the top damn well know why um, people are upset and out in the streets and protesting. And once again, that narrative doesn't show you when Benjamin Netanyahu's wife is being surrounded by civilians at a restaurant and has to be escorted out because of police. Our media here doesn't show you two days ago when Jewish New Yorkers go outside of Chucky e. Schumer's home and demand we stop sending aid to Israel. But this is the idea of these power structures that go outside of the nation state and collude with one another, utilizing the nation state as a tool, if you will, a vehicle for larger aspects of global domination and consolidation of power. And I think we're living through that moment right now, especially when we look at military conflicts within the Middle East, the possibility of a global military conflict taking place via Russia and Ukraine. And we've now had escalation to the point And I guess this is where we're going to wrap it up in the next 10 minutes of Putin openly talking about the possibility of nuclear weapons. And for the first time in decades, he and his political allies withdrawing from a treaty that says we will not utilize these weapons. Now, some may say that's saber rattling, but this is brand new. This happened within the past couple of weeks And it's barely been whispered about other than, you know, Putin taking insane actions. And then they move on to the next thing. No, this is something really of concern. And it's not necessarily that it's an insane action by a first world leader. It's somebody that if he's not bluffing can actually do these things. And if any of these things happen, whether it's Russia's fault or not, the entire globe changes. Humanity changes forever, not on a micro or nano scale, but on a scale I don't think most of us can
6: comprehend. You think that's correct? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> um, but on your first point, there's a big new Brzezinski um, in his book, Between Two Ages. He spoke about this concept called global ghettos, um, and and his central argument is that countries are going to become uh, these global ghettos um, if the centers of political and economic and military power keep offshoring, if they keep going above and beyond um, the state. And he says countries, quote, containing the majority of the world's population and experiencing at best only partially effective progress will in all likelihood be the centers of volatile political activity resentment tension and extremism well i think russia fits that definition quite well um here's here's the problem um well if this is the If this is where we're going and we're going to keep going down this road, well, you're going to get more and more countries that act belligerently, more and more countries that want to resist. And this is actually going on in Africa right now as well. I don't know if you saw this, but I I will try and find this. I know
3: exactly what you're talking about. Let me set it up for my audience. You Mm -hmm. had a I believe it was the uh, president of the Congo of the Mm the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, was it Macron? He was with the yep. French, yes, yep. the French president, um, basically stopping him and saying, "Hey, buddy, we've had enough of your narrative bullshit. All right, mm-hmm. that's not what's going on. We've been oppressed, and we've had enough of it. We're not going to take it anymore. We're going to stand up to the Johnny nonsense." Uh, it's about mm-hmm. two plus minutes. Obviously, it's not in English, but you look at what Macron's face is doing, and he, I, I don't, I think he's taken it back to the point where. He's never had this happen in a public forum with the media there. And he's looking at him like, don't you know they chose me for this? I mean, I was banging my teacher who was 25 years older than me when I was 16. And now I'm the leader of this country. How are you talking to me like this? I'm like their number one pupita
6: in, uh, in Europe. I mean, it was a shocked look on his face, Stewart. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so you have even the African countries, um, they've slowly but surely managed to develop somewhat. um, And now they have the capability to reject um, the Assistance, quote unquote, um, of the rest of the world or the Western, formerly colonial world. Um, and yeah, it's such an important clip to watch because I think it really does demonstrate that we're shifting into a new period of global politics, that there are these new power centers that are emerging, um, and that there will be challenges to what we have seen um, in recent history. Um, in fact, if you look at the war in Ukraine, most of the what you'd call the global south the developing world isn't really on board with just attacking russia and slamming russia and saying they're in the wrong and they must be stopped and they must be ejected um, In actual fact they're sitting back and waiting and they're trying to play their cards correctly and say well maybe there's a new force we can align ourselves with maybe there's going to be an alternative to the western world order um and the problem with all this is and i think this is really important for everyone in the alternative media as well uh, not you and not your coverage but definitely some people out there we could we could put in this box <clears throat> you can't look to these other places as your friends just because russia china um, is opposing the western world order that has been so devastating as it has been um for however many decades at this point that doesn't mean that russia and china is your friend that doesn't mean Putin is your friend it doesn't mean xi jinping is your friend um, in fact they may end up creating world orders that look far worse than what we've had under the the western structure um, so in terms of this potential messiah worship which i think unfortunately um, the alternative media can fall into these patterns just as much as the mainstream media um, we've got to be really careful with this everyone um, I don't don't think there's really any major political force out there that is your friend, whether that be domestic or foreign. So be be very careful whose basket um, you put your eggs into. You know, for instance, you got Pompeo running around right now. And listen,
3: to the credit of the Internet out there, uh, to the people that are really paying attention, what's been trending since Pompeo gave his speech at CPAC, the CIA and his uh, gloating in front of a audience about how the CIA, well, we lied, we cheated, we steal, we stole, we had entire courses on it. And he tried to sh- uh, throw a little shade Trump's way by basically saying, you know, he's not a real conservative because look what he did to the debt. And I think he said he increased it somewhere between um, five and $7 trillion. But the truth of the matter is, and listen, I'm not giving Trump a pass on this, that the vast majority of that inflation happened during uh, the tail end of his presidency, when he Mm -hmm. adhered to and agreed to the measures that people like Pompeo, Barr, Fauci, and others wanted to roll out for the COVID-1984 nightmare. And you can sit there and act like that's not what happened, but obviously that's a driving factor in the overwhelming amount of inflation that we've seen in this country since then, Stuart.
6: Yeah, and then, of course, Biden comes into office and continues those policies as well, which only, uh, again, just added to the uh, inflationary spiral that we were in. Uh, But then what did he try to do? As soon as uh, Putin invades um, Ukraine, it's Putin's price hike. And you have people that just eat this stuff up and they just run with it and say, so, oh, well, this must be what's going on. Well, I, well, wait a second. I don't think you could afford groceries three months ago uh, prior to the invasion and you still can't afford groceries. I don't think that was Putin's fault uh, back then. Um, no, that was the political decision to go down the path of... Uh, lockdowns um yeah let's let's follow the chinese model um well look where that goes nowhere good and there is obviously now as you've probably seen covered tons of reports and studies calling out all of this stuff and we won't get into that because I, I don't know where you're going to post this video in the long term it might end up getting um struck down for saying something out of line or maybe next year it will deemed to be uh out of line so they'll retroactively go back and disable our thoughts from uh, from from today um but yeah it's just we're really in a, a strange situation um i definitely do not have a solution to all of this Unfortunately, um, I would be very open to hearing potential solutions. I think we definitely have a leadership crisis. I don't think we really have any leaders that are um, capable of uh, getting through um, this massive global crisis that we have. And please don't uh, construe that as me saying that I want to uh, lead this sort of thing and lead us out of this, because that's definitely not the case. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, but the, the leadership thing is an issue.
3: Well, look, man, we're in an unprecedented time of narrative management. And I guess there's two stories just quickly I want to touch on before we let you go. You know, you you just kind of stopped yourself. You didn't want to talk about some of the COVID-1984 aspects that have now been revealed and really challenged even by mainstream science and academia. And we're seeing those people more and more On mainstream television, even the MSNBCs and the CNNs of the world are looking at this Department of Energy revelation. Well, the two stories that I think that are extremely important and most people in the United States still don't know the quote unquote project fear story. um, But I think the takeaway of this, for those that don't know, is that you had a bunch of uh, private communications, DMs, WhatsApp messages, emails that were showing that the politicians were utilizing the COVID-1984 nightmare, even during round three of lockdowns, to their political advantage and to purposely instill fear in the populace. Now, my biggest takeaway from all this is not that it was going on, because obviously we knew it was going on. It's that these messages were in the hands of The Telegraph and other members of the press for quite some time, And when the main individual, I believe it's uh, Matt Hancock, who Mm -hmm. they're going after had to resign, they acted like it was because he got caught with his mistress. But it looks like the press all those months ago had this information and there were backdoor deals being worked out as to the control and flow of that information coming out, the timing of it coming out, and what you would do with this political figure.
6: Mm hmm yeah um britain's response um was uh, similarly disastrous similar consequences um britain actually has um or had i don't know if it still does they had the worst inflation in the developed world yeah. um so again you can see the real success of those policies and everything that they did there um but yeah hancock and uh, boris johnson's government Lots and lots of issues with all this. Um, there, there's some interesting other, other stories I remember seeing about Boris Johnson, one that he couldn't imagine uh, not being able to go to the pub and having a beer. Uh, and he didn't want to lock down because of that. So he had to be convinced to do it and, and these sorts of things. Um, but again, it's, it's just, um, it's soundsy But I think there's um, one important consequence that's a bit uh, outside of these mainstream headlines. that When you look at these COVID lockdowns and what they did um, to kids and taking them out of schools and, and locking them in their in their houses and locking them in front of screens so fifth year of teaching full time here now um over the past year um all of the kids that have entered into college they've they've of course come out of these covid lockdowns and, and everything that happened with that um they're just absolutely absorbed in cell phones I'm i've ever seen before whenever i walk into a classroom and my students are sitting there waiting for me all of them are just doing this they're not talking to one another they're not interacting with one another um, and you can walk the halls of the university and it's exactly the same problem um that we're prior to the classes starting right they're all just sitting there they're completely absorbed into a cell phone um so we've lost i think um a lot of human connection here i think the consequences of this i don't think we're going to see them for maybe another five, ten, maybe even 20 years um are these people going to have less relationships are they going to have less kids um are they going to be less successful in their careers um the, the long-term consequences here, nobody considered at all. Um, the depression, the alcoholism, the drug use, um, all of this sort of stuff also came out of this. The uh, massive upticks um, in divorce rates and all these sorts of problems. Um, again, perhaps the solution is that one that we spoke about at the very start of, of this segment. We need to pressure our leaders and we need to make them live up to the democratic um, standards that they apparently um, want to espouse, um, but don't usually live up to. Well, we need to make them live up to those standards. Stuart, there was so much
3: more that I wanted to discuss here. We've now run over an hour. Two of those main stories that we didn't get to was the January 6th footage and the fact that Fox News was able to obtain it, yet we're not getting the dump to the public. And now we have the FTC, going after Elon Musk, supposedly, for sharing those internals with journalists and demanding which journalists had access to that information. It is a chilling time to be alive where narrative control also means thought crimes and the mobilization of trying to make those thought crimes into real crimes where they can prosecute people and even large media organizations and that's why i believe the independent media and people like yourself in academia that are challenging the great narrative every day are essential essential to trying to not only understand what's going on but also develop ideas and plans so that we can circumvent and navigate the worst of these things at stuart j hooper is where you can find him on twitter don't forget to give him a sub over at youtube as
6: well how else can the audience support you stuart That's going to be the the best two ways, trying to slowly but surely build an audience, um, trying to pump out as much content as possible. Again, it's a little tough when I have 100 students to look after every semester. But um, I'm actually going to go and um, film a bunch of videos right now covering some of these issues that we've spoken about today and some other um, key topics regarding the war in Ukraine and the, the way that that's going. All right, Stuart, it is
3: a pleasure. And I'm sure that we will have you back within the next couple of months, my friend
6: sounds great appreciate the time jason all right thank you sir another
3: great interview with Stuart
6: j hooper and
3: you notice how he talked about taking hold of government holding people accountable and i think one of the main ways we can do that is on a local level okay and letting those in charge especially during the COVID 1984 nightmare know what they did was totally and completely unacceptable and those that you did not replace you need to confront and say never ever again and uh that's why we're showing this clip right here pure gold
5: back to follow there my name is dave smith i am the new republican chairman for pima county here and i just uh i gotta tell you you know uh, this uh i'm pretty frustrated i had i had a plan to say stuff uh, that i was confronted out front one of my uh Republican Sisters was denied entry because she offended you. You know, what? I gotta say this, the constitution didn't die with COVID. You think it did, but it gave you a taste of totalitarian stew and you loved it. You love that power. This clown on the end that calls himself an attorney, the constitution is over you. It's the constitution, the law, and then authority. During COVID, you flipped it on its head. You decided that you would make the Constitution subordinate to authority. That's totalitarianism. We don't tolerate it here. America rejected it long ago. You're trying to bring it back and we're fed up. These are Republicans who are awake now. We've been asleep. Yeah, we've been asleep. We've been letting this man stand alone. And he's not alone anymore. And we're mad as hell. You know, this thing about you're offended by it. You know, I'm offended by calling people names as well. But I listen because, you know, we're sticks and stones, right? That's the First Amendment. And you're a governmental body. You have to take it. Dr. Mengele here demands women take a shot that causes abortions, has injured a woman in my own family, an experimental vaccine, and any mandates, and he doesn't even bother to attend. This capricious act he does be clowns you makes you look like fools, grow up. You are adults, this is a free society. The constitution is not dead and we're not gonna be silenced. And I'm gonna tell you something else. When he started calling people murderers, accusing people of being murderers and then demanding that pregnant women who he was dooming to have maybe miscarriages or other medical issues, demanding that they contact the board of medical examiners that's so offensive on its face and you should be protecting our rights not crushing us now my father was the president of the state board of medical examiners david d smith md and as my stepmother reminded me the other night if my dad was still alive he would have brought his marine corps vulgarity he got from korea and he'd have applied it to this dr clown here i'm we're mad as hell we're not going to take it anymore we're here for him thank you for when you support him as well at least you're another adult in the room so thank you folks
3: yeah yeah you know, you know, look at the everybody but this guy over here spot on spot on i, I mean again he got it dead right from the very beginning in that And and calling that guy Mengele, correct, correct. And they're still selling us the garbage, still selling us the trash on radio and television, still going safe and effective, still telling you boost it up. Bobby boost a lot. No, no. So we played Massey earlier. Uh, I I don't want to skip this segment without playing uh, the Massey segment from uh Tucker Carlson a couple nights ago because I think it's the most important one because Massey is the guy laying out let the citizens have it unleash the citizens with this footage let's find out what really happened because I guarantee you let the citizens look at that footage and all it's so funny because all the public footage of all the people that did riot and do damage the citizens got those and they sure found all those criminals Okay, let's find the high-level criminals. That's what I'm looking for. Let's find the the movers, the shakers, the directors, the assets, the undercovers. That that, that is 100% what we need to do. All right, so let's bring this clip up of Massey on Tucker the other night.
0: is for certain Thomas Massey serves in the Congress. He did then, he does now, he represents the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Congressman, thank you so much for coming on. I have never seen members of Congress accuse the other I mean there's usually a kind of fraternity in the Congress. You're all members of Congress, four hundred and thirty five accuse their colleagues unfairly, without any evidence at all of committing felonies. Uh, what What's your response to this, to the lying from your colleagues in the Congress?
4: You've exposed so many lies tonight with these tapes that uh, it's changed my perception of what happened two years ago. And I was there, the the tapes of people milling peacefully about, and ha- my hats off to your producers for sitting over there and going through hours of this. Yes, but I would love to, to, yeah, you know, to unleash the resourcefulness of the American public on these videos. I think they should be released. You know, I think it's poppycock that they can't be released. Because of some security issues. Look, I'm the one who's supposed to be secured by these buildings, and I'm not worried about releasing them. They need to be released. In fact, there was a Rasmussen uh, poll that just came out. This showed over 80%, 78% of Democrats and 86% of Republicans say that all the videos should be released. And, um, and they should, because as you said, Tucker, you didn't have facial recognition software there. We also could, we need a complete catalog of all of the feds who were there. Tell
6: right. us who
4: they were, let's, exactly. go, let's watch the videos and let's see what they did, because there's some really strange behavior uh, uh, on those videos of people behind the police lines in plain clothes, like touching them on the shoulder, talking in their right. ear, walking, uh, You know, around boundaries as if they weren't even there. It's very odd. Uh, I'm the one who asked Merrick Garland. I showed him the tape of Ray Epps. The Democrats didn't like it. I had to show it on an iPad for, for Merrick Garland to watch it. And then he refused to say how many feds were there, but that, that was also in the Rasmussen poll. 57% of Democrats think that it's at least somewhat likely that f- feds, agents of the federal government, were not just there, but were also encouraging people to riot or go into the Capitol.
0: Obviously. It's very clear from the footage that our producers bravely slogged through for three weeks and God bless them for doing it, that that's exactly right. That federal agents encouraged the violence that day. We just, we're just a TV show and we we can't show people without proof um, of who they really were. But I right. agree with your assessment completely. That obviously happened. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey of Kentucky, th- thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks Tucker for getting this out there. Of course. By the way, we're not, of course, in charge of this video. We don't own this video. Um, there's a limit to the decisions we can make about it.
3: So, you know, th- this is what bothers me, you know, and Tucker acknowledges it. Supposedly, we the people don't get it. There, there is some kind of deals were cut. Well, I'm done cutting deals. I, you know, I, I'm watching Matt Taibbi today post about... Uh, the Twitter files again and now talking about malinformation I was talking about malinformation when what when they were putting it out in press releases as their new policy it's not like it was a secret policy I'm, I'm so sick of and not just the mainstream media being so far behind this stuff but the so the supposed you know journalists in the alternative media and the independent media it's time to it's time to you know really hold their feet to the fire and say like we we got to stop tap dancing around the johnny nonsense period give us the files free julian assange stop criminalizing journalism stop gaslighting us into a false inverted reality stop what mentally physically biologically and psychologically attacking the human species daily. You know, I had a discussion about the Syrian conflict with Stuart J. Hooper. And uh, for those that don't know, I believe it was something like 300 plus to 102 in favor of staying in the military conflict with Syria. Kudos to the 100 plus people in Congress that said, you know what, enough's enough. The other people, all all 300 plus of them, Democrats and Republicans, everybody. Shame on you. Shame on you for extending these forever wars, for empowering the military-industrial complex, for bringing about a situation right now in which World War III, although I would argue that really the war of terror is World War III, And it's kind of bigoted not to acknowledge that when you have so many casualties across the Middle East and beyond because of the War of Terror. But when when I say World War III, the the game-changer war, right? Not since nuclear weapons were unleashed on Japan did society shifts so much. And you saw how much it shifted during the COVID-1984 nightmare. I guarantee you that will be child's play. If nuclear warfare or a hot war with Russia kicks off I am Jason Burmes I do this show four days a week for redvoicemedia.com I want to remind everybody all my documentary films are free loose change final fabled enemies invisible Empire a new world order Defined and shade the motion picture I want to remind everybody that the network here is moving and shaking like bacon, and bringing you all sorts of great shows. So thank you for supporting uh, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored slash Jason slash all the premium content out there. I love you guys. It's not about left or right to me, guys. I, I know we had a, a lot of pro-Republican conservative stuff today. That's because Massey's on fire. It's about right and wrong, and we all need to remember that. So I love you guys, and I'll see you on the flip side.